Hi, I'm Naomi Simpson. Welcome to this episode of Handpicked, where I'll be speaking to Rebecca. Rebecca has had a long journey as an entrepreneur with many businesses, but she particularly wants to know how I manage my time and what I focus on. She's also interested in things like personal brand. Rebecca, it's so good to see you. Now, maybe for our listeners, you can give them a little bit of insight into your business journey and why you're here to ask me a few questions. Thanks, Naomi. I have been in business, I think, all my career. I've always started my own businesses. I started out as a band manager at age 20, managing my favorite band, built that company over around 10 years. Um, Then I decided when I hit 30, it was time to get into tech um, because I didn't want to go to gigs for the rest of my life. So I started a company which became Hey You. So, um, which is a, an app that you use to order and pay at cafes. We now have around a million customers who order and pay at cafes across Australia, and it's largely owned by Westpac. Although that that journey of building that company was massively bumpy, involved raising lots of capital, um, fell out with a co-founder, made loads and loads of mistakes, but learned a lot. And in the past few years, I have had young children, and I've also started a business called Zambezi, where where I do training. On, um, on growth marketing and things like that. Serial entre- entrepreneur, I'm thinking. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I think, I think maybe I'm just still looking for the right thing, actually. <laughs> what, what questions have you got for me? Uh, well, I've always been a huge fan of yours since, you know, you were actually one of the inspira- probably a big part inspiration for getting into the tech business where I never thought that I could be a tech founder, even though I thought it was super inspiring. I just thought, you know, I don't look like Mark Zuckerberg. I'm not a um, engineer, but I remember seeing you on Koshi's Business Builders and I knew Red Balloon and I was like, wow, if she can do that, then maybe I could do that. And it made me start thinking about ideas. So thank you for that. Um, and there's a lot of things that I want to ask you because I am always inspired when I look at everything that you've done and also just who you are and the way that you are. Um, so my first question is around focus. So you always seem like quite a calm person and you always do things that like you get back to people quickly. Um, whereas I feel like I'm always running around. I know that I say yes to too many things because I don't want to miss out on opportunities. And I have figured out that time is my biggest asset Um, but I'm quite bad at managing it. So I want to know, how do you choose what to focus on and ensure that you stay focused? Well, firstly, I'm so glad that I look so calm because (laughs) often I'm, you know, pedalling as fast as everyone else is. One of the things I do remind myself is uh, every day is it'll be okay. Um, A friend of mine is a neurosurgeon and I am always like feeling that everything is life and death and quite dramatic. And when you realise that there's other people who are really in life and death, you kind of go, what's the worst thing that can happen today? You know, nothing's ever as good or as bad as you think it's actually going to be. So focus for me comes from, is this my swim lane? Is this the thing that I am best working on now? Or is there somebody better able to do this job? Um, Am I bringing my best skills to that? And that has taken years and years of discipline. Uh, I have a new partnership. I've been in business partnership with David Anderson for four years when we created the Big Red Group. And what was wonderful is to understand the sorts of strengths and um, skills he brings to the business, which are completely different than mine, but we're completely aligned when it comes to our values. I don't think I've got it all that sorted, by the way, in terms of focus. But I do know that I get things done 
better in the morning. And um, I also know that I'm not that good in meetings and I find endless meetings are often not that productive. So I ask myself the question, does this need to be a meeting? Could it be a six-minute stand-up? Why are all these people in the room? And it's easier in the startup circumstance when you might be six people than it is when you're running 120 people because you feel like you kind of have to include everybody in the conversation and that can be really quite challenging for me when I'm just like, well, come on, can't we just do it? So I don't think I've got it all sorted out. So in terms of focus, I think what, what can I bring my best skills for? My purpose does drive me. Do I shift the way people experience life, which incorporates other areas of my life beyond business? So I do remind myself of my values, my purpose, and also, Stuart, my husband and I have a personal theme. And so on a personal side, I say, am I living into that theme? Awesome. (laughs) I'm waiting for it to get easier and for me to have all this sorted out. (laughs) But even with kids, it's kind of the same. Like I remember, is this like an essential thing that they may remember or or not like you know what are the things that other people can do to support and that includes things such as childcare or people helping you in the house or whatever whereas I just wanted all the good bits I wanted to do the bath time I wanted to do the readers I wanted to do things I wanted to be able to go to the school funny now because my kids are in the 20s and I say oh don't you remember I went to school and I did tuck shop and I and they go no (laughs) it was important but it was important for me so I felt I was going doing a good job but I gave up all the things that I it were not essential. So. What about things like you must get asked to do a lot of things. You must find yourself having to say no a lot. Is that true? Is that is that the case? And how do you say no? To say no elegantly is quite a challenge. Um, people ask me all the time for mentoring and I go, oh, I'd be crap at that. I'd just tell them what to do and that's not the basis of great mentoring is about somebody asking you deep questions and being able to learn from your experience, not telling somebody to do. So, yeah, I get lots and lots of requests. I get lots of requests of you should invest in my business or you should donate to my charity. And then when I say, look, thank you so much, this is my chosen charity or thank you so much but my um, dance card is full at the moment, uh, some people get a bit shirty with that, you know, and um, that can be challenging. But I I have to always think, a bit back to focus, how can I support more people more often Uh, in a way that is scalable. And so after the first series of Shark Tank, when, you know, the inbox was full, invest in my business, look at this proposal, can you listen to my pitch, will you come to my pitch fest? I I just couldn't do it all. And I said, well, how do I impart what I do know? And that is, I, I literally, when I wrote Ready to Soar, it just came out because... I, was, I could picture that person on the set asking me all those questions and it was just really easy when I knew who I was talking to. Awesome. You mentioned before about um, understanding that things are not life and death and nothing is as bad or as good as, as um, you think it's going to be, but I still find myself getting pretty stressed and I try things like meditation sometimes, not as much as I should, but if something isn't going right, I find myself lying in bed at night and the same thing going round and round and round and round in my head and I try to shut it down. And I was just wondering if you have any tips for, I'm sure lots of business owners have this um, challenge because you care so much about what you're doing, right? And so how do you, you know, care so much um, but not let it drive you crazy? The most important thing is A is, is to breathe but B is just to think through what is the opposite? 
Like take the time to say, this is my viewpoint. Is it the only viewpoint? Is there many other viewpoints and not just one? But sometimes we get really attached to being right. And Mm. as founders or owners of the business, we can't hear anybody else. We can't listen to other people. And so because we're just like, no, it's this way, it's this way, it's this way. And sometimes we employ people around us and we go, I wouldn't do it that way. (laughs) Well, that's why we've employed them them because they're going to bring different strengths and skills. So I find that sometimes when I'm losing sleep, it's because I get into this position of I think I'm right and everyone else is wrong and I'm not listening. And so I have to just breathe and coach myself and say, what's another viewpoint? What is another way? And to really come from a space of my responsibility as a leader is to listen with two ears and speak with one mouth. Um, And I usually find that when I'm losing sleep, it's because I'm attached to something. I'm like, no, it's this way. But it's not just one way to grow a business. And, you know, if we learned something else from Shark Tank, it was, you know, the five of us had very different approaches to how we would grow those businesses. So um, just check in with yourself. Is it because you are needing to be right? And if so, just give it up. <laughs> That's good advice. <laughs> I looked back in the past, I had a falling out with someone once and I looked back at it and thought, gosh, I've, if only I'd thought about that with a bit more, because in hindsight you have more perspective. Yes. Um, and, and when I you're was- under fire, you get kind of all tense and everything and actually your brain is unable to work in that moment. So yeah. that is the time to go for a walk, to po- draw a picture, to just do something completely else so that you can come to it with a fresh view. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so my last two questions are around your personal brand, how you built your personal brand. So one is I, I, I've seen that you built a great business, but then you've expanded out to writing books, to speaking, to building NaomiSimpson.com. My question is why did you choose to do that? What do you get out of it? And what are some of the kind of important steps that you took? Yeah, I, I don't know if it chose me or I chose it quite frankly. So back in the day, Red Balloon had no money and marketing, um, I didn't want to put myself on the own website, but I do know that building trust for a brand is really important. And if people know the founders and know the owner, they kind of, especially in the online space 20 years ago, you know, there was no trust for anything online. And so for me, the first thing I did was get out from behind the website and that was quite a deliberate strategy to build trust. So naomisimpson.com was so that people could know me as a person. And in hindsight, it was incredibly uh, forward thinking. I didn't realise at the time, but being authentic, uh, uh, transparent and being able to show who I was as a leader. Over time, that evolved because what I realised is while I was serving a small business community through Red Balloon, and that's the experience partners, I also wanted them to have trust in the Red Balloon brand that if we were promoting their product, they were going to get customers. And so that was the only reason I did it was to build trust uh, without actually calling the business, you know, Red Balloon, Naomi Simpson, blah, blah, blah. You know, I didn't want to be like Dick Smith and have my name as the name of the company. So that's why there was this kind of side content, support small businesses everywhere and in so doing. 
I have a deep belief that our job is to give, is to make the world a better place and perhaps my special skill is the experiences that I am having and learning and the hard lessons I'm learning and the things I'm getting wrong too and why not share those with other people. So um, that's why I did it in the first was to build trust for the brand. But then after being 10 years of uh, CEO of Red Balloon, the thing that happened was I was on the outside. I was a non-executive director and it actually gave me an avenue to support our community in a different way, doing Shark Tank, writing books. Uh, The writing of the first book, Live What You Love, was because LinkedIn asked me, um, you know, what would you tell your younger self? And a 700-word blog post turned into 7,000 words. When I spoke to a publisher, she said, just keep going, get to 70,000 and we've got a book there. Uh, and Ready to Soar was because I could see the pain that so many startups were in and they just didn't know where to go and they were getting a different opinion from anyone and I added another opinion to the mix. So that's where that came from. So I would argue that I have not built my personal brand. I have argued that I built my reputation and the term personal brand has always kind of bothered me because I'm a marketer and it implies that I see myself as a product, which I don't. I see that I am uh, was given the gift of the gab. Why not use it for good rather than for evil and that it is my job to support other businesses. I've My father started a small business. I've always believed in small business. Aww. That's a really nice way of looking at it. Thank you. Um, so my last question is really a um, personal question for me because I have just written a book and you have written two best-selling books. And so my book comes out um, very soon and I would like some advice as an author. What you know, um, The process that you went through, I know you found a publisher um, and then released the book, but was there anything that you did that you thought was particularly effective in marketing your book or is there anything that you, and is there anything you would do differently next time? Yeah, um, somebody gave me some great advice early on, and they said you've you've only you've only written a book if people will read it. So it is all about the reach and keeping your book in print. And whilst I say print, of course, electronic versions go on forever, but there is nothing like uh, flipping through the book. Yeah. I have read your manuscript for 138 dates and I absolutely loved it. It was a complete romp. I thought I was just going to have a skim through and I found from the very first paragraph I was in, it is a story and it is a tale. So just tell us a little bit about the process of what it was like for you to write 138 dates. Ah, Sure, thank you. So I have written business columns for a long time. I started a blog years ago, which became a New York Times column. But it was really my business journey about what I was learning every week. And I was speaking to a publisher about right, turning that column into a book. I started writing a business book and I just found it like I got up every morning and I found it a real struggle. I was like, this is not... I thought I'm just like we said before about what am I best at? I thought I am not the best person to write this book. There are people like Naomi who are much better than me and have had a lot more success in business who can write a better business book than me. But I thought, you know, what is, what story could I tell to add the most value to people? You know, what is the biggest challenge that I've had in my life, um, which I could share about. And the biggest challenge I had was that I was 34, um, at one point, not too long ago, and and I hadn't been on a date in ten years, and so and my first partner had been killed in a car accident, and I got myself into a, um, a bit of a fluff 
I felt embarrassed to put myself online. I was scared of getting rejected and I just got stuck. And then I just uh, had a, an awful Christmas morning again at my um, friends of my parents waking up on a fold out bed. And I realized, you know, unless I do something about this, I'm going to miss out on having a family. I'm going to miss out on what is the most important thing in my life that I want more than anything else. And so I set myself this goal, which was to go on one date every week for a year. And so um, I set the goal the same way that I set my business goals. Um, and I approached it kind of with the same kind of rigor. And the book follows my journey, both building the business, but also three years and 138 dates. That is 138 different men across Sydney, San Francisco, and New York. Um, you know, all the awful rejection, humiliation, um, you know, lots of terrible mistakes and, you know, letting go of grief. It's really a journey of personal growth. You know, it's a journey about becoming the right person as much as finding the right person, you know, with a luckily a very happy ending. Yes. Well, that's not, that's a spoiler alert there. But also one of the gorgeous things that I thought when I read the manuscript was your business journey sits underneath it. And what that shows me is none of us operate in isolation. So, you know, you, if you're busy, busy at work and every, the wheels are falling off at home, it doesn't work for you. That we are whole people as business owners. It's our whole life, not just, oh, here she is the business owner for this minute and then over there she's doing something else. And I thought that you crafted the book beautifully in terms of how you sat your business journey under Underneath and the challenges that you were going through as a founder uh, in your business. So 138 dates, absolutely worth the read when it comes out. Thank you very much, Naomi, and thank you for reading for, for reading it and for all your um, enthusiasm and advice. I really appreciate it. So thank you so much for coming on Handpicked. We've loved it. Uh, really great insights for our listeners and uh, look forward to hearing the success of your book. 